Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from Ricky Love, a church planter in the great state of rural West Virginia. Ricky shares what it was like growing up in a holler, how he began using and selling drugs, to becoming a Christian, and his journey to planting a church out of his living room. I trust you'll be encouraged. So here we are at a truck stop in Breezewood, outside of a Starbucks. I'm here with my man, Ricky Love. What a dope name, bro. Yeah, I paid for it. <laughs> you changed it, right? Did you did you always love your name or no? Um, it's a blessing and a curse. Okay. Did yeah. you get made fun of a little bit in school? No, I never got a nickname either. Okay. Although it would have been a good one to try to uh, tag one on me. But it sounds like a dope hip hop name. Yeah, man. it would have been. But yeah. you could. But write I'm not good at hip hop, so. Dude. Yeah, I probably could do that. Ricky Love, you dope. <laughs> <laughs> so Ricky, Ricky, and I met uh, formally uh, at uh, our friend Scott's house for a gathering of Acts 29 pastors. And Ricky was a part of an Acts 29 church for how many years? Almost a decade. Almost a decade. And you've recently ventured out to start a new church. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get into that. But first, I I was so intrigued by your story, your upbringing, and your past experiences and how God grabbed you out of darkness and pulled you into light. So maybe we could start there. If you could start to tell your story, even from when you were very young, you can remember, were you in a Christian home, non-Christian home? Did you know anything about the Bible as a kid up until you're, you know, getting into trouble and to maybe your first encounters with with the gospel and Christians? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking. Um, I grew up in Southern West Virginia, right? Um, In a holler. A holler, yeah. Yeah, so I might need to define that for you. Yeah, folks. you should. Basically, um, West Virginia, southern part of West Virginia, you know, there's a lot of hills, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of mountains. So a holler is where you have two steep hills that kind of come together, and folks live way back up in, you know, those those little valleys, you know, along along the rivers and creeks. And uh, so I lived way back up a road, you know what I mean, and grew up uh, there with my family. And um, we grew up kind of poor. Uh, but uh, mom and dad were both together and, and loved us, and I think they tried their best. And um, but you know, you know, unfortunately, I think I was you know exposed to things that you know kids probably shouldn't have been. You know, I, my, I've always been around like substances. Okay. You know, I mean, growing up, you know, uh, family or my my family, my my dad's side of the family specifically. Okay. Has always uh, abused abused marijuana, you know. So um, I don't even know how old I was the first time that I used that. You know what I mean? Uh, it was offered to me as a kid. That, it was it was it was normalized for me as a kid. Okay. Uh, marijuana Just was the normal part of life. It was life. a normal part of life. You know the odors and and all that in your uh, house, in my house with family. Um, you know, and uh, I thank God for my family. I thank God for my parents. I've learned to to appreciate um, just them in my life over the years. You know what I mean? But I was, um, you know, mom and dad fought a lot. Okay. You know what I mean? And um, you know, I was around some some verbal, physical abuse, uh, things like that. Um, so grew up there in rural West Virginia until I was about ten. 
Were you always out in the in the woods and oh, in yeah. the creeks with the I was, frogs I would, and the turtles? I would be gone. Yeah, mom and dad would. They wouldn't even. I mean, I think I went hunting for the first time by myself when I was like six years old, mm. pitch black in the morning. I just said, "Dad, I'm going hunting." Took what, a, gun. a BB gun or? No, I'm talking about a real gun. Oh, for yeah, real? Nah, we don't play around <laughs> like with shotgun. Them. Yeah. So uh, that's you get anything? That's the, that's the, no, no. Okay. Got into trouble probably. Gotcha. Uh, but that stuff's kind of normal. You just. I mean, we weren't as concerned about safety uh, back back then, you sure. know what I mean? And so it was all a lot of woods, you know what I mean? It was a, it was a, it's, a, it's, a it's a good way to grow up in a way, you yeah, know man. what I mean? Um, you know, having that type of freedom, just be able to go and run and play and uh, go fish, and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. Those things are wonderful, I think. It's great experiences. And, um, but anyway, when I was 10 years old, uh, my dad was... I think my dad wanted to get us out of that culture, out of that, because there's a lot of elements of that culture that, um, you know, the poverty and, and, and things that, a lot of social problems, a lot of social mm. ills, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Have you ever encountered J.D. Vance's hillbilly elegy? I have, yeah. What do you think? Is that pretty accurate, his description? Well, it's been a while since I, I think I did an audio book or okay. whatever, but I would say there a lot of it is... It's true. I mean, you know, as far as growing up in Appalachia, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, so my dad wanted to kind of get us out of there, and he got a job with the state park system in West Virginia. Okay. So when I was 10 years old, we moved up five hours away, completely across the state um, to the eastern panhandle, okay. which is about, um, well, where I currently live is 10 minutes from Maryland, 15 minutes from Pennsylvania. 20 minutes to Virginia. It's four yeah. states all right there. Nice. And it's, a to- it's really a di- totally different culture. You know, so we moved up there and, um, you know, I started to grow mature as a young man. I was always very involved in sports, things like that. Um, when I was 14, my dad um, um, assaulted, kind of assaulted my sister. He, they got into a big fight and he punched her in the eye. Bloodied her eye, and he was removed. He had to be. He was removed from the home. So that kind of really kind of started my downfall, mm-hmm. really, because here I was becoming a man, trying to figure out who I was, right. and um, I was off to the races. There was no one. I was like a wild animal that no one could tame. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There was there was no one that could that could check me, uh, put me in my place. You know what I mean? So I really just began to kind of plunged myself into the party scene uh, so to speak and um, like when I when I did that um, I really just began to kind of not care about life mm. you know like a depression sense or just not like in a depression sense. sense I think and I think this is one of the things that's characteristic about rural rural culture is life is slower mm. and it's not a lot of excitement there's a lot of boredom. This is why, like, the opiates and, and heroin and stuff are so appealing and tempting because you can just melt away mm. and forget about all that. So I think people really, uh, a big kind of savior for folks is excitement and salvation from boredom and um, the mundane. So I, th- I, don't, I don't think I was self-aware of this, but that I was kind of looking for... An identity, okay. um, in the sense of like, who am I? 
I'm somebody because I do certain things. You know what I mean? Like I hang around these people right. or I sleep with these women or I have this, this money. You know what I mean? Um, and this excitement of the party culture and life and um, kind of saves me from feeling insignificant in life and small, yeah. you know. Um, so that was like 14 and, you know, I just began at that point to spiral downwards even further, you know what I mean. Um, I hung out with a lot of guys that were a lot older than me. I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager hanging out with guys that are like, oh, like almost like 30 and, oh, wow. you know, like, and they were really like, I look back and I thank God for them because I learned like certain lessons about manhood from them, about being tough and, you know, um, respect and things like that and having courage. You so know, even we can talk were, more about that too. But. Even though they were using drugs and introducing you to that scene, they were also positively influencing you in a masculinity type of way. Yes. <laughs> I think I was looking for a father, like yeah. father figures, yeah. you know what I mean? And they they were, the, I was thinking about one of them today. Like I was thinking like, he was really like a father figure. I looked to him like as a, as a father almost, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Which is sad, but I also thank God in a weird kind of way um, that I was able to learn those lessons, you know what I mean? Like, one story I, I told to a group of pastors one time uh, was <laughs> me and uh, one of my friends, we were out with my sister one night, and we were just out having a good time, and, you know, these guys had pulled up um, beside of us, and they started... You know, we had an exchange of words. Not me. I'm, I'm, I'm a, just like a 16-year-old kid. I'm like 150 pounds. I'm not trying to pick any fights. Right, anybody, right. You know? So, uh, anyway, um, we end up, you know, leaving that place, but they end up riding past and, you know, kind of gesturing towards us that they wanted to fight. And I'm like, I'm, these are like grown men. And my buddy is like, he was like, Rick, he was like, take your shirt off. He's like, take your shirt off because <laughs> we, we better fight these guys, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, I'm more scared of my friend than I am these guys, so <laughs> I'm going to take my shirt off. But but it's it kind of stuff like that. It's like, Did it go down? No, it didn't, thank okay. God. Uh, but um, there were other occasions where it did, unfortunately. But, you know, in a, in a weird kind of way, that taught me to, like, be tough, you know, and to have courage, you know what I mean, to kind of stand up to my fears and, yeah, yeah. and to to endure hardship and suffering and take a beat down, yeah. you know what I mean, and uh, things like that. I think in a weird way, like, all the that, 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 that period kind of forged me into the person that I am, you know. Uh, but it was basically a period from 14 to 20 where it was like a big blur in my life. It really was. It was just... Years, so years of partying, almost almost daily, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I tried to go back once or twice, but I never, I, I just didn't, I was too sucked into just um, negativity. I was just, I just couldn't, I didn't have any uh, desire for, I didn't have any goals. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't care about school. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't want to learn. I just didn't care about anything. Like I, this is what I like describe it. I had like a Scarface mentality. You know, it was like Money, just living for respect. the just living for the moment and living to have fun, living to, doing whatever I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Um, so um, 
environmentally, was it similar to your the hauler, or was this a whole other environment? Yeah, it's a whole whole different kind of. I think it was a whole different. I mean, I was very young then. I was only ten years. I was only you know I was a a little boy then, you know. But I think this that part of West Virginia exposes you to, to different things. You know what I mean? Like you're exposed to different aspects of culture. You know what I mean? Like. In some areas in West Virginia, you are very isolated geographically. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I've driven 79 South many times, yeah. and like you'll just see a patch of three or four houses, and then it's mountains and trees for the next 20, 30 miles. And you're like, where do they get food? I wonder. Like, yeah. is there a little store around here or something? Yeah. Some place, in some places, you know, you have to travel you know, half an hour to um, to to go shopping, or yeah. you know, or farther. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, so. But that was not so. That environment is not where you're at in the in this stage of your of your life. No, no. But uh, yeah, so I think I think you know, as the years went on, I began to kind of go deeper into kind of that the darkness, you know, and. So hanging around those guys and growing up and becoming a man, I became more angry. I became more violent. You know, I became more prideful. Um, in the sense of like not not wanting, not liking being dis- disrespected, and you know, it, it, it's so true that you know the passage in the Bible it says you know, you know, you know, as far as you hang around a violent man or yeah. angry person, you know, you will learn his ways. Yeah. You know, um, so. And um, just the drug scene, just experimenting with more different types of drugs, and you know, um, so it got to the point where me and my friends were using cocaine. We were, we were. I mean, uh, we were, I was selling it. We would, How old were you at this time? I was 17, 18 years old. Okay. So uh, you're selling coke at 17, 18. Yeah, ecstasy. And, um, going to raves or where? What was no, the context? No, no, because that. That would be like a more of a Baltimore, D.C. type thing, and but so we would, we like I said, like so people in our area are 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 transplanted from Baltimore, you know, D.C. all around. So I had friends from that moved down from Baltimore that had connections in gotcha. Baltimore for all, all cocaine and ecstasy. So we would make trips, you know, to Baltimore. Um, you know, which is still the case for my area, the, the highway that goes through there, um, Interstate 70, they call it heroin, uh, heroin highway. I'm pretty sure that's what they call it. Uh, but, it but anyway, yeah, it's a big, it's a big corridor that, uh, there. I mean, even right now, they have some of the highest, we have some of the highest uh, overdose rates in the nation. Um, in your area of West Virginia? Yeah, in the, the three counties there in the eastern panhandle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And West Virginia has some of the highest overdose rates in the nation as a state. Do you think that's due to the to the poverty and the like hopelessness? What do you think that I think is? It, I think the the biggest part of it is the hopelessness. You know, the you know, poverty might play into it. You know, but I think it's I think it's a big cultural thing. I mean, you, it does make you want to step back and ask the question like, why West Virginia? You know, why is it that we are particularly prone to want this substance? Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it something in the water? You know, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a lot to do with what I just said. You know what I mean? It's like life is slow, when life is boring, when there's not a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, um, these things, when you've kind of 
prepared yourself for that for for years and, and decades, then then uh, uh, opiates is, is an easy next step. You know, I always tell, I always think, you know, I, I look at all my friends that have since, you know, since moving back to my hometown have gotten involved in um, those type of drugs, and, and many of them died. You know, um, thinking. I would have been right there with him because it would have been an easy next step because right. all of the choices that I had made up to that point were preparing me for that moment mm-hmm. of sniffing heroin right. or taking a pill. Right. Usually because, it starts out as painkillers and then they get expensive or you start snorting those. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's it's the whole it's the whole it's the the decades or the years of looking to something else your happiness that sets you up for the easy slam dunk mm. you know what I mean whether it be women or or it, what is all those different things you know what I mean you're looking you're looking for something to make you happy you're looking for something to to escape from the 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 insignificance of life the, the mundane day by day boringness you know the the lack of change or whatever it might be but but anyway um <clears throat> You know, um, so, yeah, so it was just a lot of that. Went to jail when I was 18 years old. Um, for selling? No, it was for some, it was for minor stuff, but I'm just trying to just kind of set the context. Like, yeah. all of my friends have been to jail. All of us come from, all of us come from broken marriages, broken homes, you know, but we were really like a family. Like, we all told we, we love one another, you know what I mean? Um, you know, we're very, very close. Uh, we fight for one another. You know, um, but kind of what uh, what kind of turned the corner for me was I was selling coke. My best friend began to use it really heavily, and I didn't like being around that. Mm. I didn't mind selling it to other people, but I saw um, him it really affecting his life, and I didn't like to see that. I didn't like to be around it. And he wanted me to sell it to him. So I started hanging around these other guys, partying with him. Um, and, you know, they were doing all the same things I was doing, but they weren't, um, they weren't, they weren't into those t- harder drugs, you know what I mean? They okay. just were, they just like to have a good time, you know, so. And uh, one of these guys, his father um, was a part of this church. And so he was a, he was a believer in Jesus. And um, they just, happened to invite me out to this event where another friend of mine had become a Christian a couple years prior and he was going to be sharing his story or whatever and I Is this heard... the guy you partied with? Yeah, okay. yeah. so this is a guy I grew up with in my hometown. He's a pastor right now. He's a guy named Garrett Kell. Nice. Um, he's a pastor in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, a church called Delray Baptist Church. Okay. Uh, he's a great guy, great pastor. Um, and um, so... I heard Garrett had become a Christian and a pastor and like, you know, we went to church off and on growing up and, um, <clears throat> but in my mind, like, so from like 13 on, church was not even a part of my life. And most of the churches that we were involved in were like, um, you know, mainline Presbyterian churches. So I don't even think I heard the gospel maybe once when I was a kid Okay, that I can remember clearly. I mean, they may have come out other times, but, um. Um, the only thing I could think about with my friend as a pastor is like a black, a black uh, shirt with a little white collar. You know what I mean? <laughs> the I, don't know, I don't know the technical name for that thing, but um, 
But anyway, uh, I was just like, I can't see him wearing that, you know? That's the context <laughs> that's, you had that's for That's what I thought, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, um, I was also with this girl at the time, and um, she kept, um, she had asked me, you know, what do you think about going out to this thing? I'm just like, why are all these people inviting me out to this, this event? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I don't know why, I mean... Um, but I look back upon it and I remember feeling compelled mm. to go. And it doesn't make sense. I was just, I was curious. I was at a very bad place in my life. I was very depressed and um, uh, I felt like I was in a fog. I was very violent um, and angry. Um, I was probably at the height of all of my craziness and partying and just out of control, just drinking very heavily. Yeah. You know, like like large amounts of liquor. You know what I mean? Just feeling like I was in a fog all the time. So anyway, I went out to this event. It was November 27, 1999. So I got one of those dates, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, November 27, 1999. And I, I roll into this thing and um, I always tell people it was funny because I remember the outfit I was wearing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So... I had like, this is West Virginia, mind you. Right. So I had like a full velour, velour suit on with, <laughs> with boots and like two gold chains, right? PMB and Oh, yeah, I was great. It was great. Uh, I still like that outfit. I probably wear it right now. There you go. But, um, you should wear it to preach it. Yeah, my wife won't let me wear gold chains. I've tried it. Um, but uh, I went in there and, you know, we, me and my friends, we walked up like to the very, it was in my high school, high school gymnasium, oh, wow. believe it or not. That. Yeah, they let us do that. Um, so, uh, they let them do it and I, I went up there and sat down and you know they had uh, you know the little Christian music and, and I was like oh this is this is this is whack you know I'm not into this you know I was very, very much into hip hop and um, but my friend got up to share his story and I was utterly captivated and I was just utterly arrested by his story and uh, just what stood out to me was I want what this guy has. Mm. I don't know what it is. I want what he has. And what he is saying is true. Mm. He, and he shared, from, he shared from Romans chapter 2 about how, don't you know how patient and kind God has been with you and all this and that, but, you know, because of your hard, unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself yeah. in the day. And I was like, well, it didn't take me, it didn't take much, con- have to take much convincing for me to realize that I... Was a, was a sinner, you know what I mean, that my life was a mess, you know what I mean? And then he told the simple story of Jesus. He told the simple story of Jesus came and Jesus lived for, for us and and that he died for us on the cross. And um, I was like, that's the truth. Mm. That's what I need in my life, you know what I mean? So do you, now looking back on that, do you feel like the Holy Spirit was, was just confirming this message as real and true and you needed it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, because, and it's the thing, Chris, like, I didn't have any context for any of this, and this is, this is, this is how you know, like, my best friend's family, this guy who was using coke really heavy was all Jehovah's Witness, Mm. and we would come in late at night, you know, and and the grandmother and the family being there were all Jehovah's Witness, and sometimes we would be, you know, poking fun and messing with them, and, you know, just asking silly questions, and you know, just laughing and have a good time. But then other times, you know, I would be serious. I mm-hmm. want to know, have real questions, you know, about about God and stuff. And I remember asking the grandmother one time, like, who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. 
And she said, I don't know. Oh, wow. She said, but he did say this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. She's Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness. And I said, and it's like God burnt that verse into my soul. And I would go home from partying late at night, and I would lay in my bed, and I would just think about that verse. Wow. I would pray. Like, I remember leaving, like, leaving this young girl's house that I was that was inviting me out to this event, and we were both not Christians, but leaving there and just like walking at nighttime with the stars out and just saying, God, I know this ain't right. I'm going to stop this one day mm. and then go home and pray. And then like, you know, like, God, I know I got to come, Jesus, I got to come through you to get to the Father, you know. Wow. So, so um, all you knew in a sense was that verse and it had that much of an impact on you. Yeah. I mean, I knew that that, that sounded true to me and I started praying it, mm. praying, talking to God about it. And feeling convicted about my sin. While you were partying, drinking heavy, yeah, yeah. using all coke. that. So that night when my buddy was preaching, they, they had like a traditional altar call. Yep. And I didn't go forward or anything. I was at the very, very last bleacher top of the gymnasium, but I closed my eyes and I just said, you know, God, if you're real, like I just want you to do in my life what you did in his life. Mm. You know. And you know, I think because I didn't have like the the, the the background in the church and understanding and kind of the seeds of, of, the, of the scriptures in my life, like God made it clear to me he was real. And, and, and what happened was I just closed my eyes and I felt like I was flying. Wow. I just felt like I was flying. I said, when I open my eyes up, I'm going to be flying. Mm. You know, and, and open my eyes up and I was still sitting. I wasn't flying, you know what I mean? But you know, I, I left that building that night knowing that there was a God. Mm. And I left there feeling happy. And I left there with, with losing a desire for the things that I once did. You know what I mean? And it's like God started to, he just took those desires. I mean, I was still, I still did all the things I was doing, but I didn't it enjoy them anymore. Yeah. I didn't enjoy, I, I started to feel sorry for like the girls in my life. You know, I started to feel sorry for them. I was like, why are they, why are they doing this to themselves? Mm. You know what I mean? And um, so, and then uh, the same guy who invited me out, um, his dad was attending a, a, a Baptist church there, and I started to attend on a regular basis. And well, they they came and got me. Really, is what happened. Okay. Yeah, they came to my house and was like, "You're going." Oh, for real? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> did I, you tell your buddy that you received? Christ? I didn't know anything had happened to me. Okay. I didn't know I received Christ. I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have been able to articulate those words. Wow. Yeah, and 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 as time went on, you know, like I, some folks at the church gave me a job, um, gave me a job, and um, while I was working there, another friend of mine that we used to party together back in the day, he he um, got locked up for like three years or so on crack, and became a believer while he was in prison mm-hmm. or was in jail, and. Basically, he discipled me where I work. And I remember one day we were working, and I was just, like, asking questions about the Bible and church. And we were riding around with a, another friend of ours. And he was like, yeah. He's like, he's like, Ricky, he's saved. And I was like, what? You know, I was like, I didn't even know I was. You know what I mean? Like, it took someone else, like, pointing it out to me, like, God was at work in my life for me to actually know and believe it. Wow. You know, so. So you didn't that, correlate that, those two realities. You, you, in a sense, responded to the gospel that night yeah. in the bleachers. Yeah. But it took 
how, how long was it before your friend said that that it dawned on you like oh my gosh I'm, I'm a Christian or like this is I'm a different person I'm in a different reality now I would say a couple months okay yeah, I would say I would say by the spring springtime late spring most of those those there have been a lot of repentance that had happened in my life and a lot of big changes and and, uh, Without people saying to you, you need to stop this and stop that and stop this? Or were people discipling you? Yeah, the, my, my buddy that I worked with, he answered my questions. Okay. I would ask questions like, hey, does this mean I got to stop having sex? Gotcha. You know. And would he give you good answers? Yeah, he gave me great answers. He said, yeah, just keep reading your Bible and just keep coming to church. You know, I already knew the answer. You know what I mean? Um, but... Uh, I can't remember all the questions I asked, but that was, that was definitely one of them. That, oh, was, yeah. that was a big one for me, for you know, sure. like like um, laying down that God of like sexual immorality. Because I think that was a that was a big source of me escaping from my insecurity and, and feeling like I was somebody and uh, feeling feeling re- like that redemption because I conquered this person. You yeah. know what I mean? Or I'm cool, or I I, I can get this girl, or you know, uh, I can feel good, you know, for this, this moment, you know what I mean, or whatever. So that's, that's kind of the big picture, you know what I mean? Uh, so that was, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, and You and I, uh, we talked about this previously, but you and I were born again the same year. I became a Christian in 1999. That's right. That's yeah, right. and I, I came out of the hip-hop world as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but were you... An East Coast guy? Were you a West Coast guy, hip hop wise, down yeah, south? I was I was definitely like a East Coast, New York City, okay. Nas, Jay Z, um, Wu Tang Clan, Mob yeah. Deep. Yeah, those are those are all my people right there. Okay. Yeah, cool. So. Yeah, me too. So from there, um, you I'm excited about listening to the new Nas album. Okay, alright. <laughs> When's it come out? I think it's out. Okay. Um, Spotify, right? Um, so, the you you went to seminary, right? Did. How did that happen? Like, how you started getting discipled in church, and then you get a call to be a I pastor? Just how well, does that happen? You know, once I became a believer, it's like almost like I had like dreams again. Like before, it was like live for the moment. Uh, you didn't have any hope. I didn't for the have future. any future outlook. It was only momentary, day by day. I didn't have any type of uh, forward thinking. You know what I mean? No type of thought about consequences you know what I mean or death or anything like that mm. you know um, but when I became a believer it's like I had you know hopes dreams again and I always wanted to I always wanted to play college basketball and um, I, I was always told as a young kid that if I worked at it you know I could I could play college ball and I didn't play any high school basketball but there was a, a local coach uh, there was a coach of the girls basketball team in my community and I just started to work out a lot and started to play. And, and that was also an out for me. That was kind of like a, a positive way to spend my time now. Is just getting in good shape, uh, you know, and, and playing ball and being healthy, working out. And, he, and I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I think I want to play college ball. And he started to work with me, you know, a little bit, and, you know, try to help me kind of um, just kind of develop my skills a little bit. And uh, I said, you know, I think I want to go play for the school um, about an hour away, uh, Potomac State College. 
And um, he said, I know the athletic director, and I'll go talk to him for you. I know the uh, – yeah. So he he came, and um, he came and, and brought me the college application. Cause I wouldn't even know how to apply. I wouldn't even have known. Yeah. He brought me the application, told me to fill it out. I filled it out. He came and picked it up, turned it in for me, and I got accepted. And uh, I went up there and, and, and tried out and – you know, played you know for a little bit, and um, that was a wonderful experience for me. What college? Tommy State College, okay. uh, West Virginia University. Okay. Um, and, and that kind of helped me get back into school, you know, and I, I that helped me get into like education and having that desire to want to learn and uh, seeing it as a good thing. And then now you said you dropped out. Did you get get a GED? I got a GED. Okay. Yeah, I had a GED. So. Then I, uh, from there, I, I transferred. I was there one year, transferred to Liberty University. And really, the reason I did that, I felt like it was what I felt like God was actually leading me to do that mm. through a bunch of weird experiences. But um, give me one of them. People at the school, people at the school, guys on the basketball team knew I was a Christian, and they were like, "Have you ever thought about going to Liberty?" Because it's only a two-year school, you know what I mean? And, and I, was, and I had I had went there for like a Promise Keepers event, mm-hmm. and I saw it. I knew it was a Christian school. I was like, man, it'd be pretty cool to come here and like you know be around other believers. And I wasn't around. I didn't have a lot of Christian friends, you know, yeah, necessarily yeah. my age. So um, I applied and just showed up. I mean, I had it could have been a train wreck, but um, I had a wonderful experience there. Um, met some of my closest friends nice. in the world there. Um, so yeah, I studied. I studied. Uh, I forget what my degree was in. <laughs> it was religion, but it was basically uh, biblical studies. Okay. You know, um, they. You know, I was. That was really what I was interested in. I was interested in the Bible, and and um, I went there. And it was during my time there that I really felt like I wanted to like serve God with my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what that meant. I just meant like I just wanted to. I kind of see it as like a pastoral call. Okay. Like my whole. I feel like it's what God's been calling me to do all along. You know, what I mean? were you able to define it that clearly then? No, okay. no. I just knew. Um, I think by the time I graduated, I thought I wanted to be a missionary. Okay. Um, but it was while I was in seminary that I was like, you know, I think that God's calling me to pastor His church. Okay. You know, and so in 2004, I graduated from Liberty, and then I went to um, Southern uh, Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Al Moeller. Yep, he was there at the time. Um, so, <laughs> did you get to meet him? I have met him. Yeah, I had a class with him and okay. stuff. And my, my, my brain was just like thumping the whole time. <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So I spent five years there in Louisville, and just uh, studied. You know, just got my degree there, and I think I got a lot of good tools there and learned a lot of helpful things. Um, I think that things were kind of like disjointed for me like mm. things were it was almost like I learned some stuff but like what do I do if, I've got these tools okay but like alright how do I build something mm. you know what I mean and I probably don't need that tool right there you know so I could probably take that one out of my toolbox right you know um, so you didn't really have a clear I'm, I'm going for pastoral ministry or I'm going for missionary or did you no I, you I did I, I planned my, my, I thought my whole time at seminary that I was going to be a missionary in okay. Brazil. Okay. And I had been on like 
I think I've been to Brazil like 13 times. Oh, wow. On okay. various mission trips. I was learning to speak Portuguese. Like IMB or what? Who yeah, I planned to go through the International Mission Board and uh, met, my, met my wife there in 2008. At Southern? or well, she, I met her through um, some friends there on campus. Okay. Yeah, she was not a seminary student. Okay. Um, but she's from Kentucky. So it's like the Hatfields and McCoys thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, like the mountainous region, do like I, the Appalachian mountain. No, okay. <laughs> you have to go look that one up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so uh, yeah, so we did the interview, went through the process with the IMB, and and, um, and so you got married in between this time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we we got married in two thousand nine. And um, so we, I pursued the application process to be a missionary, and um, and we got, um, I don't want to say turned down, but um, basically they didn't want to approve uh, me because I have type one diabetes. Okay. So that kind of like made me rethink what it is I want to do. You know what I mean? Sure. So I was like, well, I still think this is what I should do. This is what I want to do. So I got to figure out how I'm going to get there another route. So what? What churches around here are known for international church planning, and so um, that's when we we got involved in a, um, a sojourn uh, Louisville. Oh, yeah. um, so we got involved there, and also during that time, I the just, sojourn or at like a plant of sojourn. It was a sojourn. Uh, no, at the time they only had the Midtown campus. So with Daniel Montgomery, yeah, so and was Brian Howard there at the time? No, not at okay. the time. Um, they, that was kind of early on, earlier on. Okay. I don't know how long they had been around before that. Maybe 10 years, maybe? Okay. I don't know. <clears throat> Mike Cosper there? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so I I was tremendously blessed by those guys, you know, um, and their ministry, and um, just the preaching of the gospel there, the, the, the gospel culture and the community of the church was just like, I, this is the way I like it. It was like a gospel bomb every Sunday. Yeah, man. Like in all aspects of the service and the preaching and um, met some good friends there, but but we were there for a short period of time. We okay. really were. Went there a long time. I did their um, pastoral uh, school there. I forget what it's like, sojourn pastor school okay. or whatever. Like an internship type of thing. Um, it was a bunch of it was a bunch of guys actually. And basically, just a room full of guys, and we would have some books we go through. And we okay. have little cohorts that we get in. Nice. And, um, and I was involved in a local church my whole time there. Like that was a that was a big thing. Like when I first week in seminary we all got in the chapel it was eight hours of like hey basically like y'all need to be in part of a church mm-hmm. you need to be you need to be a member of a church this is what the bible says and i was never like like at college i was never like intimately plugged into a church community now i was back home in west virginia but i was missing that <clears throat> and once i saw it from the scriptures i was like Oh, it's yeah. in the Bible. Oh, yeah. I need to go and do it. So I went and became a part of a church about 25 minutes outside of Louisville because I wanted, I didn't want to be around all the seminary students. I wanted to be around, I wanted to be able to serve and grow and use my gifts and bless the community. Okay. So I went to church with my roommate in seminary and that was like they were preaching Jesus. And it was soldier. No, no, no. Okay. I was a part of a church for almost five years, like prior to Sojourn. Gotcha. This was to more towards the end of my gotcha. time there. Okay. <clears throat> um, and it was a wonderful experience of just being in a church 
It was a larger church, Baptist church in Kentucky at the time. Um, you know, maybe not where I was at theologically across the board, but it was good for me just to get in there and humble myself and serve. And, and I was able to do that in all kinds of different ways. Nice. And it was a very wealthy part of the state, like one of the wealthiest counties in Kentucky. So coming from like the holler yeah. to like, okay, you're, you're in somebody's house and they got like a movie theater, <laughs> right. you know, like, okay, but this person loves Jesus too. You know, and they're very generous mm. with their money. You know what I mean? So it's like, that was that type That's of... culture shock. <clears throat> it was a good learning experience to be around people at different class levels than I was accustomed to. You sure. know what I mean? So um, so after that, we became a part of um, um, Sojourn. And then it was during that time I started really studying the Bible. Like, just, just being gripped by the gospel really like seeing that the the scriptures are all about the gospel Mm -hmm. you know and seeing that the strategy of the apostles for evangelism you know and obeying the great commission was church planting yeah yeah. and that's you know being a part of sojourn was when i got introduced to to acts 29 the acts 29 church planting network time were still a part of acts they were one of the original um you know founding churches or but yeah but they were so i participated in the boot camp there and and, and it was during that time that one of my, like my best friend from college called me. I'm Josh Soto, who's a, a pastor, one of the pastors at Remnant, uh, my previous church that I just, uh, that we're planning out of mm-hmm. in Richmond, Virginia, called me. And they had started a church in Richmond, Virginia. And he was like, hey, you know, I, I knew about the church. We had been there to Richmond to visit. He was like, what, do you, what would you think about coming down and, and helping us, uh, helping us out? helping us out with the church and me and my wife talked about it and we prayed about it and we were just like you know if we're if we were not going to be in brazil then you know i mean what a great opportunity to be able to do ministry with one of your close friends and we already loved the community there and we we liked richmond um so we decided to move there um and my wife was nine months pregnant both quit both of our jobs moved there kind of had no real plan in wow. place, you know, and just kind of just, uh, I don't know if it's faith or foolishness or no, the other. Probably a mixture of both. No, I was like a, I was like a, I was like a church planner in residence okay. type thing. So, um, that was how we got to Richmond. Wow. And we were in Richmond for 10 years, moved there in uh, 2010. Um, and <clears throat> I think that was, you know, being in Richmond, um, and um, and that's a long story in and of itself. I don't I'm, know how I'm much we curious. want to go into that. You know? At some point, you were leading several, I don't know if you called them community groups, gospel communities, yeah. missional communities. I'll make, I'll make the first part of the story short. Go for it. All right, so we moved, as as want, we, moved, we, moved to, uh, we moved there to help plant, we moved there to plant a church okay. through a church that my buddy had started, Josh. And we did that, and uh, so we, I was church planner in residence, we raised up a core team, and like our kind of vision was to plant in the projects, in, in the, Richmond has a large uh, population of housing projects uh, there in the city, and so we moved into a real rough area of the city. Purposefully. Purposefully, yeah. Um, I've, I've always kind of had a heart for like the, 
difficult situations yeah. and rough areas. Difficult it was kind tasks. of your background, man. Yeah. And I wasn't. I'm not. I wasn't necessarily scared. You know, uh, maybe sometimes, but um, so that was the equivalent of like going to Brazil to me. Mm. You know what I mean? Of going to the slums of Brazil, and then there's a lot of poverty here and, and violence and things. So I knew, you felt called to that culture, like that environment. I'm going to do missionary ministry in that type of culture. I think I think it was I think it was more like this. I think it was more like God called me to be a pastor, and I had a particular heart for a very difficult circumstances, situations, because of I think my God's providence and my story. Yeah. So I think it's just having a pastoral heart. And just being like, okay, where are those people? Right, right, right. I'm a pastor. I want to love and serve those people. And in a sense, you're comfortable in that environment already because you know it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we moved there into that neighborhood. It's called Churchill. Um, Since that time, there's been a lot of like urban renewal and um, folks move, young people moving in and neighborhood has really changed um, but it was like the murder capital of the United States at one time you know I mean the 80s and 90s um, it was a, it was a it was a very rough place it was rough when we were there it was very rough um, so what was your strategy like how did you how we, did you share the gospel how did you minister well I, I, my purpose in bringing that that up was like say like I was very immature um, I made a lot of mistakes I was really trying hard I wanted to reach people, but it's like, okay, I'm calling, but anyway, you know, I, 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 we did that for three years, and I think by the end of the three years, like, I was like, all right, I think I finally might have a grasp on what I'm trying to do here, and that's when my, my wife, like, literally that moment, like, there was a moment my, that I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm, because I did my, you know, my assessment with Acts 29, and um, they were like, they gave me like, okay, you need to do like a strategic plan for what you, your, your ministry. Yeah. Like, and it was like a 25-year strategic plan. So it wasn't like a little thing. So, so this is one of your conditions? It was one of my conditions, okay. yeah. You know, um, so I completed that. And I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Literally, when I completed it, I was going to go talk with the, those guys, some guys the next morning about it, some pastors and and my wife came to me that night. She's like, I don't even know if I'm saved. Whoa. And I'm just like, it was just like that moment where you have to, you have to knife the thing. You have to kill your kind of dream and your vision. Either that or knife your wife mm. in, in, a, in a metaphorical sense. Right, you right. know what I mean? Because yeah. like one of them's going to have to die, die spiritually or, you know, whatever, however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, I was just like, I, I just can't, I can't move forward with this because it's going to crush my wife. You know, and um, was it just that taxing, that overwhelming of a ministry? I think it was because it was very difficult. The work was, and I think because I was very immature, and you know, I just needed to grow. I needed to grow as a pastor. That the community was not healthy. Mm. I think it was moving in that direction. Um, so I think all those things kind of, kind of, and I probably just wasn't doing a good job leading my wife spiritually, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and loving her well, you know, and I just, I just laid it all down and I went to those guys and told them, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. 
and that's when we became a part of Remnant okay. in Richmond, and that was the best decision I probably ever could have made. Probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. So explain, uh, as far as I understand, there were several of you, including Brian Lachlan, who's the lead pastor yeah. there at Remnant. Yeah. There were several of you who combined ministries to create well, a big team, right? Something I'll put it like, like this. We were all, we were all doing that from day one. From day one, we, we all started our churches around the same time, and we were all close friends. We met at like every Friday morning, get together. We just got together just to talk about ministry and theology yeah. and just laugh, have a good time. And we were just hanging out, and we trained leaders together. Like we did like leadership training together. We were all, we all believed the same things. We all had very similar philosophy of ministry, and we all loved each other. We were all dear friends with one another. Um, so yeah we just we're all just like we can do this better together you know and, um, you know I was just thankful they let me join them yeah, <laughs> you know so yeah. um, so I did that for I was there for like seven years um, with that church the hard to leave oh yeah I mean it's, that's my those are my my dear friends, you know, my family. Um, but I think the the reason it, it uh, you know causes me to be emotional is because I, I just had such a wonderful experience. Yeah. It was li- really life changing, you know. What yeah, I mean? man. You know, because I what think ways like well, I think that they welcomed me into the church, me and my family, and time when we were really hurting and gave me space to space to fail and mm. mess up and, and be myself and ask dumb questions and, and I was never I was always treated with kindness yeah and um, I think when the time was right which was very short you know I was like you know I want to be a part of the the pastoral training here you know what I mean like and you know there was a they had they had a need for someone pastor a pastor to help kind of serve the church in connecting the church with the poor of the community and I had already been doing that I had already been doing that so but I think you know just first of all humbling myself and submitting to other pastors for a long time you know what I mean um and you know I wasn't a pastor for a long I wasn't a pastor there for I was a pastor and then I you know laid that kind of opportunity down to become a part of this church and I wasn't a pastor mm. and that was a good season for me to yeah. just be like are you are you okay with Jesus you know what I mean do you have to do you have to be a pastor yeah you kind of had this dream and you're for the sake of your wife and because you love these these brothers you're laying it down not yeah. knowing what the future might hold. but it was also too like wrestling with that ministry idol of like why are you doing this do you do you have to be a pastor are you okay with are you okay with being a Christian mm. are you okay with that you know and, and looking out my window and God whispering to me do you really love these people you know you, you moved here to this neighborhood why are you here you mm. really love them you know or, or do you have to do you have to be doing ministry to love them Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like with in a formal sense. Um, so 
I became a part. I went. I went through their pastoral training, which was three years. It was, you know, and it was a and, and it was it was um, it was almost like a ministry detox and a and like a like a seminary detox for me in a sense, um, where I got to be around like okay, not, it was almost like I'm mean, trying to think of a, an illustration to compare it to like. I don't know if this, this if this translates, but like, okay, um, a doctor talking about the medical field in a classroom, and then okay, now you're you're in the operating room with a doctor, seeing the same thing that he just talked about, or maybe talking about the same category of thing, right? But showing you how to apply it and what you actually need for this job. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like... Some more hands-on apprentice-like? Is that... Well, everybody in the everybody in the pastoral training had practical ministry. So my practical ministry stuff was, was kind of leading our church to serve the poor. Gotcha. And being a community group leader, you know, um, and, and, and things like that. You know, and being a pastor. You know, just doing kind of pastoral type work. But I wasn't a pastor at the time. Right, I was just serving in that role. You're a member, faithful member, faithful member, member, community group leader, and um, uh, trying to lead our church to serve the poor. And um, but it was it was a lot. You know, a lot of it was like learning how to think well, become a better learner. You know, not just not just filling my head with information and facts and knowledge, but okay, how is that knowledge making you a better person, a better pastor? How, is, how are you becoming a better thinker? You'll be able to think on your own two feet. Think for yourself, right? Not just regurgitate something, but can you take what that guy said and break it down? Yeah. Break it down from all angles and build it back up and, and build your own thing over here, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so, and just, I think just being around those guys and, and just just talking about ministry, it was, it was an awesome experience. And, um, you know, I, I think that was anyway. That's that was a you know we were there almost seven years and it was a true true blessing in my life. It saved, saved my soul in a lot of ways. Mm. How about your wife? What did it do for her? Um, she just thrived there. You know, she we she met a lot of great friends, a lot of great women, and, and she just she just grew in her faith, and we grew together, and we had a lot of support. I think that was a big. A big uh, aspect of it was having a lot of support in our life. Okay. Yeah, so we're doing the same things. We're believing the same things, but we got a lot of people in our corner, and we got a lot of help. Yeah. And, and when counsel, you know what I mean. You know, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Now, did you ever become an elder there, a pastoral? Yeah. So okay. I, eventually, you know, once it was the pastoral training was three years. So this is like Grimke Seminary before it was Grimke Seminary. Okay, all right. This is proto-Grimke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beta version. Yeah, I worked out all the kinks for everybody. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, after three years, they, um, I went through an ordination process and was ordained as a pastor there. Okay. And that was huge for me because it wasn't just me saying I was a pastor. It was other men looking at me and saying, we've watched your life. We, we know your doctrine. We see your family, you know, and we think you're a pastor. 
right? Because, you know, when I had that kind of like, almost like thing that didn't work out, you know, that made me question if this is what God called me to do, yeah. you know what I mean? So I had the time of like questioning, you know what I mean? So I look, I look, those are things I look back upon, like, you know, like to know what, to not trust in myself, but yeah. to trust in the Lord through these men that surrounded me. So we, when I left there, we had a team of 10, 10 other uh, men who, uh, who were such a huge blessing in my life, you know. So 10 pastors. When we left there, when I left, yeah. And you left to do what? So, you know, we we, we lived in Richmond for 10 years. I thought we would live and die there. Mm. I didn't want to leave. I had no plans on leaving. Um, but uh, almost three years ago to to the date, um, another pastor uh, uh, in the southern part of West Virginia, Will Bosham, approached me about an yeah. opportunity um, that was close to where I'm from. There was a church, another Act 29 church there, was looking for a pastor. Their pastor was going to be a missionary. He asked me what I uh, thought about this opportunity, and I was like, no. Um, I'm here in Richmond. I'm very rooted. I mean, I had my whole family there. I got my uncle, my grandmother, my dad, my mom, you know. I had a great job. I loved my church. And, um, but it just... He said, could you see yourself in that role? And that question just kind of, kind of, just wouldn't let me alone. And I was like, I just kept thinking, well, yeah, I can't see myself. I'm, I'm from there. That I, What really burdened me was that I know that the area that I'm from, the Eastern Panhandle or West Virginia, has such a desperate need of, of the gospel, you know? Um, and uh, a great need for church planting churches and healthy churches. So, you know, I already told you about some of the ministry trauma I went through and my wife, you know, kind of struggling with her faith. And then, so I came to my wife. I was like, babe, yeah. I said, you know, I keep thinking about West Virginia. And she's like, well, you know, maybe we need to be open to what God is doing. And I was just, that's like one of those record stop moments <laughs> where I thought she was going to tell me I was crazy. And I was just like, what? You know, so she was like, well, maybe we need to sit down and talk with, maybe you need to, sit down and talk with the pastor and just share with him what's going on, you know? So I went and I did that. And, um, you know, our, my, my head pastor, uh, lead pastor, Brian, mm-hmm. I, I laid it out there and I thought they were all going to tell me I was crazy too. Cause I never really saw myself as a, I didn't see myself at that point as a, like a lead. Cause I had just been playing such a role, you know, within the church as a pastor. Yeah. I was just in my lane doing my, doing what I was, felt like I should be doing. And he was like, this is what I thought you always should have been doing. Wow. And when he said that, I was like, oh, I was like, what? So he was like, yeah, sounds like a great opportunity. You know, you think you need to put your application in there? And so I did. And I went, you know, they had a, a pastor search process and I waited six months and, and uh, didn't hear nothing from them. I contacted them after six months and they said, we decided to move in another direction. And I was like, okay, well, yep. this this is not what God wanted. Yeah. You know, maybe it was just something that I wanted. Yeah. You know, so we forgot about it and kept it moving. And um, it's like, well, we just kind of doubled down in Richmond. And then, you know, the loving, wise pastors that I had did a debrief with me afterwards, after all that, because it was really kind of a strange period, six months not knowing whether you were. Right. And uh, uh, they, he was like, you know, you still want to go to West Virginia? And I was like, well, 
not really. I was like, I didn't want to go in the first place, you know. This opportunity was kind of presented to me. Yeah. And um, I was like, to be honest with you, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do this waiting and not knowing and up back and, and forth, up and down. Yeah. Yep. I was like, if I'm called, I'm called. I just, it, it, like, it, you know, someone just needs to recognize that, you know. I, I don't know if that's the best way to think about it, but mm. that was my mentality. I didn't want to go through that process yeah, again. Yeah. I was like, to be honest, I, I feel like it takes, I have to take something big. It takes, I have to take something big for me to get me there, you know, like a sign or something. You know what I mean? I yeah. know I probably shouldn't be asking for that, but, like, I feel like I need one. Uh, just because I was so rooted, you yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah, um, who wants to leave a solid place where you have support and your family's thriving and you're, you feel like you're doing what you're called to do? And I didn't have any opportunity, too, so that's the thing. Like, what am I going to? Right. So that was in January. The next month, I got a call from a family in my where I grew up, um, and I hadn't heard from them for 20 years. Wow! And uh, it was a friend of my brother's and, and mine had died as a result of uh, opiate abuse, and family wanted me to come back and do the funeral. And um, so I went up and did the funeral, brought my oldest daughter with me, and it was just like God was just dealing with me the whole weekend I was there, like basically almost like. You know, Ricky, you keep asking me what I want you to do. What do you want to do? Why don't you make a decision here? You know? Because you can do either one of these things. You know? Like, you have the green light to do either one. Your pastor's already told you that. You know? So, did the funeral. And the next day, I went and uh, got together with my friend who had been selling crack. For the, and, and got saved in, in jail, had breakfast with him and his wife, and he had, over the years, past 10 years, I had been gone for 20 years. Over the past 10 years, he had um, he had drifted into Catholicism and still loves Jesus and is a, is a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, he became Catholic, and the reason is because when he had real questions about the faith, you know, the churches in the area laughed at him, they dismissed his questions they didn't have real answers for him and he found answers in, in, in the Catholic Church you know he found thousands of years of answers and tradition And but anyway we were having breakfast and he was like what are you going to do about West Virginia and I was like well I don't I don't know you know I'm, I mean I know that this area really needs like gospel preaching churches and, and churches that, that plant other churches and um he was like, you need to come up here and you need to pastor a church. Wow. And I was like, well... This is during the funeral weekend? Yeah. This is the weekend up there that I'm wrestling with all this, like, what, am, you know, I felt like God was dealing with me. And uh, I was like, well, if you're going to be a part of a Protestant church in this area, where would you go to? Where would you take your family? And he said, I can't think of a church that I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to take my family. And that kind of really hit me. It was like, there's no church for this man. There's no one that's going to reach him, you know. There's no Protestant church that he would want to be a part of, you know. That doesn't mean that there aren't any there, you know what I mean? But that was the type of thing that, like, driving home, I was like, this is what I want to do, you know. So um, that was two years ago um, today, like like August, two years ago. Um, so, yeah, that's how we got back to, to the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. So, and right now you are meeting where in your home? 
Yeah, so we had we had an opportunity to um, work with the church there. It was without a pastor for uh, about a year, and it just wasn't a good fit for me and my family. Okay. And nothing has changed really about what I feel like God has called us us to do. And, um, so we are moving forward with with planting the gospel in, in the region. Um, so um, yeah, so we're we're planting a church called Wellspring Church. Okay, um, we started meeting in July. We're meeting in my home. We have we have a small group of people that's meeting there right now, um, and we're just super excited about what the Lord is doing. Um, seeing the the gospels being preached, um, we had someone even this past week, this weekend, uh, profess faith. In, oh, uh, it was man. a friend of mine that I grew up with that I used to party with and profess faith in Christ. The Lord has been working on him for uh, a couple years, I think, even before we got here, and he was just ripe and ready for. He's been bringing out his uh, mom and sister. Um, we have a beautiful um, gospel culture that's beginning to develop. And uh, folks are growing in their faith, excited about what the Lord is doing. Um, that doesn't look like anything big and flashy, you know what I mean? But it's it's the small things that, that God is uh, usually at work in, oh, yeah. which are the big things. Oh, yeah. You know, people making steps of obedience. Uh, people... Um, trust in Christ, people coming out to book studies that have never done, have never read a book, haven't read yeah, a book man. since high school, yeah. uh, things like that. So, man, we're just excited to to know the Lord, to serve Him. Um, West Virginia desperately needs the gospel. Um, I did two funerals this month. Wow. Overdoses? One of them was a 31-year-old kid. Uh, I, I grew up partying with this, this kid's sister, tragic. Um, you know what I mean um, during the coronavirus we've had, we've had a ton of overdoses in our community um, you know but we just across the board we desperately need the gospel we know, you know the region that we uh, live in is um, home 265,000 people right you, you, it's small kind of areas but um, the metro area we're part of a metro area is 265,000 people you know that all kind of live together work together recreate together um, and um, there is a crying need for solid healthy churches and that's why the, we're there that's our heart that's our burden um, and that's what we want to see and we're just thankful that we get to partner together with um, churches like Eternal City yeah, uh, to do that to have this type of a conversation uh, about what the Lord is doing uh, and how He works at works in the world and uh, has has people's paths cross. You know what I mean? So that we can we can we can uh, work together to see churches planted. Yeah. So the rural collective. Are you a part of that? Or I guess I am. I don't know. <laughs> do you know Dave? Dave. Pickett? I do. I do. Yeah. So we. Um, we, uh, yeah, so we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get to participate in that. You know. Are you with Acts 29? I'm in a rural area. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you part of Acts 29? Uh, yeah, we're going to be in the, we're, we're in the assessment process. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, so we're still in the assessment uh, process. That's great. Yeah. Love it, man. Yeah. So if you were, um, I, I think this might be a good place to, to close. Unless yeah, because I'm getting hungry, man. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sitting out here breathing diesel, man. Yeah. Makes you hungry, right? Um, if you were to meet one of those old friends, yeah, and they were to say, like, man, you're a different person. 
Like, mm-hmm. you, you are a radically different person. Mm-hmm. How would you explain to them what happened to you, and how would you then share that same hope that mm-hmm. that could be them? They could experience it too. Hmm. Well, I've had a ton of opportunities to do that, you know, since then, you know. And I think just very simply and very honestly, like, you know, like, I, I can't take any credit credit for it. I can tell you what happened to me, you know. Like, you, you know the type of person I used to be. Um, and I heard about the good news of Jesus, you know. I, I was a very messed up person. Uh, lost person, very, you know, I already told the story, but um, I heard who Jesus was, about what he did for me at the cross, how he died for my sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected, and that if I believed in him, I would be forgiven, and I would have new life and forgiveness, and um, uh, that's what I would tell him. What was the other part of your question? There was something else. Yeah, what would you what would you tell them, and how would you offer that same hope to them? That that, that could be them too. Your yeah. situation and story could be their. Experience. I think the way I would I would offer it, offer that hope to them is by spending time with them. I think that's what happened to my friend that I just mentioned. You know what I mean? We just started hanging out. Basically, this guy was abandoned by all of our other friends, mm. and he's just been alone. And uh, we just spent a lot of time together hanging out. I let him ask his questions and. You know, um, he, he had questions that they aren't the questions that you think that he would, you, you know, it's like, what is that thing that you do on Sunday when you get up there and you talk? <laughs> what is that? Say? What is that called? Well, you, you call it a sermon or whatever, you know, the questions about what I was preaching about, um, you know, very, very simple type stuff, yeah. you know, I think I just welcome them into the, into the, the friendships with other believers yeah, that man. I have and let them see what God is doing and let them hear the word of God and um, let them kind of just I almost think about like smoking the smoke just let them just let, let them yep. marinate yep. you know and then when the opportunity is right so you're not pressuring anyone you're I think not... I, I think this my friend of mine he was hanging out with us for a couple months and then he had been coming out to the church service uh, for a couple months we started a book study going through a book called Gospel Centered Life Mm -hmm. he came out to that on Saturday um, and he's just been vibing with us you know what I mean he's been a breath of fresh air and I just asked him straight up on Saturday like where you at with Jesus man like where you at with all this stuff he's like I've been believing in Jesus for a while I've been Mm. I've been praying and I think God had been working on him before we even came to back yeah. to West Virginia and I said well do you believe the gospel do you believe that Christ died for you that he rose from the dead that that, that he died for your sins specifically and that yeah. he can forgive you and he said yeah I believe that mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I was like you know you know believing is not the only thing like you have to actually turn from your sin you know he's like yeah I've, I've, I've been doing that I've, I've been you know all the big stuff you know what I mean like he's like you know I still still got you know still cuss every once in a while and, you know it's, it's just funny but yeah so I think I think that for me like I don't know if I'm the best like convincing someone of the truth of the gospel but like just welcoming you know I think I think especially in a post-Christian culture you need to win people to yourself first like they need to be convinced that you are not crazy and that you 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 are 
a rational, like logical person that, yeah. you know, you don't believe in like um, unicorns or I don't know, yeah, some yeah. some crazy and yeah. um, and um, you know, being welcomed into the Christian community and having opportunities just to just to see, just to taste and see, yeah. and to hear the good news and ask their questions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. That's no, that's, that's the best I got. I think it's a relational style of evangelism and yeah. discipleship, and I think that's that's legit. I, I still am big. I'm still big on inviting people out to a church service, and like they'll come. You know, if you build a relationship with them, get to know them, and, and you invite them out, a lot of folks will still come out. Yeah. You know, and um, so it's great, man. Yeah, just to encourage you, we started in our living room. Uh, in 2014 and we were in the living room for a year and a lot of ups and downs and we started renting a building and it was very very small for quite some time and man we I thought several times it was over and uh, and we're now six years in and we have uh, a small healthy membership and we have a a team of pastors um, four of us pastoral Mm -hmm. elders Uh, but I'm still part-time man I still work a, a part-time job and just plugging away man mm-hmm. just not giving up plugging away trusting the Lord so I appreciate it encourage you man keep doing it brother appreciate that thanks, thanks for having me yeah thanks for sharing your story bro alright All right. five fingers of death here we come <laughs> peace let's go get something to eat man let's do it awesome.